I'm loving going through the book of Acts. That video just, I get excited just seeing that video. And I, I want to start this morning by getting you a little bit engaged. Let's, um, I'm going to need some answers from you. Are you ready for this? So what's the biggest holiday in our church? What, what would you say is the, the biggest, most important holiday in our church? Easter, okay. Correct. You didn't know you were going to be graded on these answers, did you? What's the second biggest holiday in the church? Christmas, the birth of our Savior. Check, you're two for two. What's the third biggest holiday? Well, now we're, now we're starting to get, what, what are we going to say? Some might say Thanksgiving, I just heard the one that I was actually hoping for down there, which is Pentecost. But how many of us would call that normally in our church year a big, big holiday? I think a lot of times we kind of skim over the top of it. But if you study that passage that we just read, maybe that's the day on which we should be giving gifts. If you go back to what Paul says to the Corinthians, because Pentecost is a celebration. What, what even is Pentecost? Well, it's a celebration of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I think with Thanksgiving, we have a celebration of the Father and His creation and His providing for us. With Christmas and Easter, we have a celebration of the Savior, His birth and resurrection. But Pentecost often is a little bit overlooked, and there's a third person called the Holy Spirit that is so important to our walk of faith because He is the one who gives us faith, sustains our faith, and strengthens our faith. Now, today is not the day of Pentecost on the church calendar, but we're going to celebrate it today because this is the account of Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit is poured out as Jesus had promised that he would be poured out. And, and here's why I think this is so important. You know, we often ask this question, and I, I have to credit this to something I saw recently and I, it just really struck me. There was a gentleman talking, and he said, how do you describe your relationship with Jesus? And I think for many of us, we would say, well, I have a relationship with Jesus through faith. I believe in Jesus. And that's not bad. It's not wrong. It's really a true definition. My relationship with Jesus is through faith, which again makes the Holy Spirit vitally important. And we often describe it as believing or trusting in Jesus. But he issued a little challenge that I thought was kind of interesting. When you have a relationship with someone here, do you say that you believe in them? I believe in my wife, which I do believe in my wife, but that's not... Normally, how I would describe my relationship with Julie or with my five kids or my 12 grandkids, for sure, I do believe in them, but 
I think for me, it would be, I know them. I know my wife. I love my wife. I know my children. I love my children. I know my grandchildren and love them. That's the description. And so that got me to thinking because the challenge that this gentleman issued was, do you believe in Jesus and it kind of just stops there? Or do you know and love Jesus? And I think this is the beauty of today's passage from Acts chapter 2 because the disciples knew, remember, they had been hiding out in fear. That's why we confessed fear and anxiety in our confession today because that's what they had been doing. And Jesus knew that they need to have something more, a deeper relationship with him and needed to really know him and love him in order to go out with this message to the world, which for the last two Sundays we've been describing as our purpose, our whole reason for being. So let's, let's uh, take a look at Acts chapter 2, 1 to 13. The words will be up on the screen. You might want to pull out your notes for this morning's message so you can follow along. But first of all, let's hear from the book of Acts, the, the gentleman Luke who wrote this. He says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And by the way, we're not sure exactly where this was. Many believe it was probably in one of the rooms of the temple because it does seem from later on in the account that it was, um, it, it, you know, they were pursued by people, crowds of people. Maybe they were still in their, their hideout where they had been kind of laying low. Suddenly, a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And by the way, throughout the whole Bible, when you hear of wind or cloud and fire, those are all very public indications that God is present. So that's what we're seeing here, God's presence. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans, by the way, that's sort of like saying, aren't all these people speaking from Appalachia? Aren't they all hillbillies? That's kind of what they're saying. How is it that they can speak in all these languages? These aren't educated people. How is it, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, that's a lot of languages. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. You know, all too often, 
when people think of Christianity, and sadly, sometimes when people think of us as Christians, they think that our Christian faith is really about the rules of Christianity, that we're Christians because we follow the Ten Commandments or certain other rules that we find in the Bible. And that's what makes us Christians is this rule following. And sadly, that destroys a a lot of times our opportunity even to reach out to them because who wants more rules in their life? Raise your hand right now if you're like, yeah, what I need right now are 30 more rules in my life. Now, there are some of you who love rules, and that's okay. But I think for most of us, if we were offered the option between you can have rules and try to follow them and feel kind of under that pressure of trying to get them perfect, or you could have a relationship with a beautiful person who will, by virtue of that relationship, I can guarantee this because it's what's happened to me, over time, rub off on you. Their values, their wisdom, their way of thinking. That relationship has better chance of changing you than any set of rules. And that's what Jesus offers you and me, first and foremost. I'm not saying he doesn't offer rules. The commandments are, after all, in the Bible. But what I'm saying is that a relationship with Jesus brought on by the power of the Holy Spirit is what can truly make a difference in our lives. And so I think for a lot of Christians who understand that Real Christianity is relationships and our responses to the relationship because guess what? When you're in a relationship with a person whom you know and love, that will always bring out responses in you, won't it? I mean, if you need to go way back to when you first fell in love with this person, Did you notice that there were certain things you were doing that you wouldn't ordinarily do because you were in love with this person and all of a sudden, flowers started showing up in your hands? There's there's responses that come from relationships. And it's like that with Jesus too. And so what we're here to talk about is relationships and responses with Jesus far more than rules. And for that to happen, because by nature we have these cold, dead, enemy of God hearts, something has to stir our hearts. Something has to resurrect our hearts. Something has to bring these hearts back to life so that our hearts can love God whom we ordinarily just want to reject. And some of you have been Christians for a long time. You know that there's a little bit of that still in you. That there are still times when you're like, am I really doing the right thing to follow Jesus? Like, what if all of this just is craziness? Some of you have been Christians for a long time know that you still have struggles to love Jesus even though you know deeply how much he has loved you at the sacrifice of his life. And all of us have struggled with 
maintaining the responses that we know God wants to call forth from us. It's no different than in a marriage or in being a mom or dad. We're far from perfect, and there's part of us that is still spiritually weak, which brings us full circle to this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, because He is the one who empowers us, and we saw what He did with the disciples. And so the first question today is, how can I go deeper in my relationship with God? I am where I am today, but I believe that Christians know because they can look at this relationship of love, they can look at their knowing God, and they can look at their responses, and all of us can see, I can go deeper. There's more to this relationship. I know there is. And although Jesus has given the full measure for us, there's still a measure for us to give. So how do we go deeper so that we know Jesus better, trust Jesus more, love Jesus more? I want you to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You know, I want you to study that word suddenly. Because even though the apostles had been told to expect this happening, apparently Luke reports it as they were just going about their business. And all of a sudden, with them really not expecting it was going to happen right then and there, this violent wind, which is the description of it is like a tornado blowing through. Can you imagine the sound of a tornado trucking its way through this room? I saw a video the other day of a guy with a camera uh, standing in his garage, but just around a corner, but peeking around. And in this video, I wish I could show it to you, it's so dramatic. He shows, he says, there's a tornado coming. And, and all of a sudden, outside the open garage door, you see this wind blowing. And before he's shown you this beautiful panorama of what it looks like around beautiful green trees and shrubbery and, and flowers <coughs> and an empty garage door in front of him. And then the tornado blows by very quickly and he goes back out. There's a truck sitting that wasn't there before at the entrance to his garage, and as he pans around a second time, the power of this tornado is so strong that every tree, shrub, and flower is stripped bare. You, all that's left is twigs, where before there had been lush landscaping. That's the power that we're talking about, that, that this is talking about. This is a sign of the Holy Spirit's power. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Remarkable. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So to make this point very, very clear, and you're going to hear it several times today, we have to have the Holy Spirit. When we attempt to go deeper with God on our own power, it'll never work. 
last week I showed you a quote from Martin Luther. I'm going to put it up here again because I think it's so important that any sermon about the Holy Spirit start right here. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to Him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. He calls us. He's the one that's drawn us to believe. He's gathered us to Jesus. He's enlightened us. Our dark minds couldn't see things without the Holy Spirit. And he is the one whose power allows us to grow in the Christian church, and then he is also the one who preserves our faith. Now, I, here's what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you to sit back, twiddle your thumbs. Jesus told the disciples, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the power of the Holy Spirit descended on them, what does Peter immediately begin to do in that power? He begins to preach. We'll talk about that next week. He responds. And in sanctification, in our growth in this relationship with Jesus, Jesus describes it even as a, as a cycle, an important cycle, where the Holy Spirit takes our cold, dead hearts and draws them into faith and because we are now in the faith, we begin to respond, which leads us back to more power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. We either do what God says, what the Holy Spirit teaches, or we don't. Either way, we're led back to the gospel because we either need forgiveness or we want more of the power that he's already given us. And so remember how Jesus put this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? When he describes the man who's whose house is built on the rock and stands firm when the storms of life blow by, he said, that guy, the reason he is a wise builder in spiritual terms is because he listened to God's word, which is how he received the Holy Spirit, and he put it into practice. Luther is absolutely right when he says we can't do this on our own strength. And, my favorite word, it's also important to understand that our response to loving Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit is not unimportant. And so as we listen to God's word and put it into practice, the question is, how do we grow deeper in knowing Jesus, our relationship with him? Well, let, let's, let's have a look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. There's the listen to God's word. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. That's how we got here. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Meaning the Holy Spirit now is coming to confirm our faith. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
So it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we come here. It is through the Holy Spirit that we respond. And it is in that cycle, to answer the question, it is in that cycle of listening to God's Word and putting into practice, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that our relationship with Jesus Christ deepens. So, point number one, the Holy Spirit gives me power to know that's the relationship and serve, that's the response, Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives me power to know and serve Jesus. Relationship and response. All right, second question, how do we reach others so that they can have what we have? So that they can have it, I put here, I meant the gospel too, the good news of faith relationship to Jesus. How can they know and love him too? Well, it's interesting how Acts 2 describes the answer to this question. So go back to verses 5 and 6. It says this, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now, this is interesting because this is a theme of the New Testament. And this theme that I'm about to point out to you, you can see also even in the ministry of Jesus. Sometimes we don't recognize it when we read it, but in places like Luke 4, we're told that even Jesus went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, many times, I know for myself too, I thought, well, he's Jesus. Of course, he's the Son of God. He can say what he wants. His words have tremendous power. Does Jesus really need or want the Holy Spirit to be with him and what he does? The Son of God? Well, apparently so, because let's look at Luke chapter 4. Jesus, and I highlighted this, full of the Holy Spirit. This is before he's even gone to be tested by the devil in the wilderness, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, I should have highlighted that one too, into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. When that's all done and he defeats the devil three times, we read this in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Now, we get a hint of the pattern I'm talking about here, which we see in Acts chapter 2. We're seeing it here. What happens when even Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit? News about him spread through the whole countryside. And what does that do? This good news. Well, we don't have to go very far to look and see at the beginning of Luke chapter 5, the very next chapter, we read this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Leave that up there. Because the question is what again? 
So how do we go deeper with Jesus? We go deeper with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit when we listen to the Word of God and put it into practice. That develops a relationship of knowing and loving Jesus. How do we pass that on to others? By the power of the Holy Spirit. As the good news is spread around the countryside. And, and look at what's happening. Go back now to Acts chapter 2 because you see this theme coming out in Acts chapter 2. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this wind sound like a tornado, a crowd came together. A, a crowd, circle that, came together in bewilderment. They didn't know what was happening for sure yet, but the Holy Spirit drew a crowd because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now, I'm going to underline the thought that I've been saying because I want to emphasize its opposite. There's a guy named Charles Spurgeon. I've quoted him a couple of times, but I want you to see what he says. Without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without wind. We are useless. That's true. But now I want to flip that on its head. With the Spirit of God. We have great wind in our sails. With the Spirit of God, we are not powerless, but powerful. And that's what we're seeing happen here on the day of Pentecost. It's what we're seeing with Jesus even, the Son of God even, as He goes to be tested in the wilderness, led by the Spirit. And when He returns from that test, successful, defeating, Jesus, uh, defeating Satan three times, he goes to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and crowds gather. Now, we're a church that says one of our main goals is what? To reach the lost with the love of Christ. And so it's a very, I think, logical question if that's our vision as a church family, to reach the lost with the love of Christ, to ask ourselves, what's the most powerful way that that can happen? And the most powerful way that that can happen is involve the Holy Spirit. Make sure that the Holy Spirit is in everything we do. That's great, Pastor. How do we do that? How do we make sure the Holy Spirit is involved in everything that we do? Well, that's not hard. You see... In today's world, it's a little bit different. When you read through the Bible, you may notice this, that these big, powerful, sudden miracles don't happen throughout the Bible even. It, It might seem at first when you read the Bible that they're happening all the time. From the time God created the world until the Bible was done. But if you read the Bible carefully and you look at the timelines, you realize that really Miracles and powerful things like that were concentrated at certain times in the church's history. And what were those times? Those times were times of change. Think about it, for example. When when did we see a lot of miracles? When the children of Israel were moving from Egypt to the Promised Land. ton of miracles in the book of Exodus. 
You can see miracles during the time when the prophets were coming. Elijah, Elisha, because God was trying to get his people to turn in a new direction. We see miracles happen in the book of Acts and in the Gospels because, once again, it's a big turn. The Old Testament promises have been fulfilled. We're now turning to New Testament times. I'm not saying that God can only do miracles at certain times of change. I'm saying that when we read the Bible, we notice this. And now that's because I want to ask the next logical question. What about the rest of the times? How was faith maintained? How was faith spread? Apart from all these miracles and powerful things happening. And the reason I ask that is because we ourselves are in a time where we're not necessarily seeing that kind of volume of miracles and powerful things happening the way they did on the day of Pentecost. So how does it happen now? You know how it happens now? The way Jesus described, by listening to the Word of God and putting it into practice. And when you do that, I will say this, surprising acts can happen in your life. Surprising changes can happen in your life. But today, it's less about waiting for this big, miraculous thing to happen, and it's more about your habits, your practices, your disciplines that take you daily into the Word of God, time for meditation, time for asking yourself, how do I now listen to this deeply so that it develops a relationship of love with the Lord. How do I obey it and follow it and put it into practice? This is so important. I can't say it loud enough. Because this is how you grow your relationship. It's also how you spread your relationship with Jesus to others. Is taking? Do you have a time just to devote yourself to the Lord each day, to read your Bible, to pray, to ask for the Lord's guidance and protection during the day? Do you have time at night where you just say a prayer? Do you have a time to pray at meals, to thank God for His providence? Because it's as we develop this that our own personal day of Pentecost is going to come. And it's how we're going to share it with others. So here's your answer, and then we'll wrap up. The power and works of the Holy Spirit draw a crowd. So as we bathe ourselves in the Scripture, in the Gospel, in the Holy Spirit, because they're one and the same, they go together, that's how we're going to have more people coming to church and growing this church and reaching the, the lost with the love of Christ. And here's the final question. And one that I want you to know, because it's so important to know this before you go out to tell others about Jesus. How are people going to respond when you tell them about Jesus? Is everybody going to jump up and say, I'm healed? Seems like that happens in the Bible. Is everybody going to say, oh, thank you so much for sharing Jesus with me. That's changed my life. And I will say, as someone who had a family do that, 
Nothing has changed my life, even close to that. Thank God for that family that shared the gospel with me. It's changed my life, my wife's life, my children's life, my grandchildren's life. But if you want to see what happens when the gospel is spread, even by Jesus, take a, take a look at this passage. No, keep going forward. All the people in the synagogue, this is Jesus sharing the gospel with people who supposedly kind of already knew the promises. All the people in the gospel, in the synagogue, were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him, that is Jesus, off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way, protected by God. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you are courageous enough to invite somebody to church, to sit with them, to tell them about your relationship with Jesus, to reach out to them, remember in the three T's, when their intention, transition, or trouble, and share your faith with them, you should expect opposing responses. On the one hand, some will believe, and Jesus did have some believe. On the other hand, some will not believe and even reject you and hate you because of the message of Jesus. I don't want you to be taken by surprise if that's the reaction. Even Jesus himself got that reaction. They tried to kill him in his own hometown. These were people that knew him. He had grown up in the midst of these people who are now trying to throw him off the cliff. And so, here's what I want you to write down, and then I'm going to give you one final quote from St. Augustine. But write down uh, this answer. The power of the Holy Spirit spurs opposing responses. And we saw that in the book of Acts. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. First of all, they're amazed and perplexed, and they ask one another, what does this mean? Here's some people who are at least exploring, but, but what did some people say? The opposite. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. What is this? Well, St. Augustine identifies it really beautifully. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. I've said it many times from up here, the root of all sin is the love of self. And how it plays into whether or not you believe or don't believe or strengthen your faith or have a very weak, shaky faith, often centers around this one problem of sin, which is that I love myself more than I love God. And I believe I have the right to judge which of his words are right for me and which of his words are not right for me. And Augustine says it very clearly and very well when he says, that is nothing more than worshiping yourself over God. So, Christian Essentials 4 is coming up. I want to announce it 
one more time. It's coming up soon. And if you want to know more about how to reach people with the gospel, consider attending it on Saturday, July 29th. Let's join together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.